This is New Classical Tracks from listener-supported American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for this show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Sylvie Chang is a Tokyo-born Chinese-Canadian pianist. Her colleague, violist Georgina Rossi, is a Chilean-American. They met several years ago while attending the Manhattan School of Music, and they were roommates, they shared an apartment, and then they discovered that they also share a love of Latin American music. They've just released their second recording, and it celebrates the sounds of Brazil. It's called Chorinho. That's what we hear about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Mocker. I'm talking with violist Georgina Rossi and pianist Sylvie Chang about their new recording, which celebrates the music of Brazilian composers. Welcome. Thanks for having this conversation with me. Thank you for having us. Let's start off by getting to know each of you a little bit. Georgina, um, you are a Chilean-American. Does that mean that you spent time growing up in Chile? Or what does that mean for you as a, a young person growing up in the world? It, it does mean that I, I grew up here. I was born here in Santiago. I'm connecting from Santiago today. And I uh, was raised here. I left when I was 16 to attend Interlochen Arts Academy, two years of high school in Michigan, boarding school. And from there, I moved to New York City for college. And how did the viola become central to who you are? Well, I started out on violin, like many violists, but not like all violists. Um, and I had already a relation, a strong relationship with the viola because my mother is a professional violist. And I felt very close to the repertoire and to just what the, what the viola, how the viola expresses and what it can do. And so it was very natural for me to switch. Uh, when I was around 12 when I switched over. Sylvie, you are a Tokyo-born Chinese-Canadian pianist, so you have a very diverse background. Tell me a little bit about that. Were you born in China but then moved to Canada? And if so, when did that happen in your life? Um, So I was born in Tokyo. Actually, my parents were studying at the University of Tokyo at the time, and I was perhaps an oops baby. I might have come along a little earlier than they anticipated as they were still finishing up their theses. (laughs) But we moved to Canada when I was eight months old. So I feel very much um, Canadian in my upbringing and in my heart. And wherever I go, I'm definitely a proud Canadian, as I don't actually have um, vivid memories of, of course, living in the first eight months of my life in Japan. But definitely um, my Chinese culture has definitely influenced my just overall being as a person and as a musician, um, for sure. And like Georgina, we actually met at the Manhattan School of Music because I went to high school here in Canada. When I finished, I uh, went to the Manhattan School of Music for my undergrad and master's degrees. And Georgina and I met there as music students in conservatory. So how did the piano become so important in your life? 
Unlike Georgina, I've actually always been slightly envious that her parents, that she comes from a musical family, that both her parents are musicians. Um, my parents are non-musicians. And so piano honestly just kind of fell into my lap and into the world. When I was four, there was this small blue keyboard. It was like a two octave keyboard that I would apparently kind of plunk around on. Um, and so my mom saw that I was interested in this instrument and asked if I wanted to take piano lessons. But I don't think any of us anticipated that it would be become my professional career. It just started off as a hobby, and here we are. The two of you met at school and became a musical duo. How did you know that the two of you would be really good collaborators in this way? Well, I mean, we were, friend we were friends, and we wanted to play, and uh, so we, we found um, music that was joyful for for us both to to get to know together and we just started, it just happened very organically we also roomed together um for like three four years or something or three i can't remember it was quite a long time that we that we shared an apartment um so it was yeah i, I mean time flies and i hope to get to play with sylvie for a long time but i think our first musical collaboration was uh, for Georgina's senior recital when she was planning to program some Argentinian music. And this is kind of, I think, the foundational thread for our recording projects in that we've always been drawn and collaborated over music from Latin America. And so these specific Argentinian songs, Georgina had asked if I would like to join her for a set um, to close out her senior recital. And that's the first time that we kind of prepare to play together in public other than kind of playing at home perhaps together for fun. And then since then, we just had, we felt such a connection to the music and to making music with each other that that's then blossomed into our first album, Mobili, which focused on Chilean music. And now this newest release, Chirinho, which is um, featuring Brazilian music. The Choro is a genre that came together very organically on the streets of Rio, very urban music. Um, its spirit is of virtuosity and improvisation, and um, it's kind of what happened when street, street musicians of Brazil processed all of these imported uh, dances and rhythms and genres like polka and uh, waltz and mazurka and all these things, and, and they made it their own. Um, and so the choto the is hugely important. It's kind of the, the parent... Uh, genre to, to samba and to other popular, um, uh, what we know of as Brazilian genre. Uh, the Choto is kind of the original. And it has, I believe, kind of the significance that the blues has to us in the U.S., something kind of like that for us to understand. So I think even though some of these pieces are from the 20th and 21st century, I think um, for us, we were always looking back to the influences and the traditions of where this music comes from and the long history, especially in Brazil. Um, but specifically the title track, one of the pieces that we recorded by Susa Lima is called Chirinho. And so we just thought it was a nice way to not only enter into this world, but also pay homage to the traditions of music in Brazil. To add to that, 
So Brazilian music can, can be very melancholy and very, it has a sad flavor to it, uh, which is understandable when you think about the very complicated history in Brazil. But uh, the choro the can roughly be translated into uh, the idea of a lament or a cry. And so the chorinho is uh, like a, a little lament, a little cry. And I, yeah, like Sylvie said, it's uh, one the, the first track on the album is Susa Lima's Chirinho. But I also kind of felt like it was the right title for the album because the viola tends to get assigned all of these kind of melancholy elegiac types of music. And so to me, it felt very perfect that everywhere in the world, the choro, the chirinho, the lament is perfectly suited to the voice of the viola. So it's a way of saying this is an album of viola music from Brazil. And that first track on this recording, which is the title track, if you will, is also a world premiere. Talk a little bit more about the piece in that context. How did you discover it, and how did it make its way on this recording? Well, I inherited a lot of uh, scores that my mother, who I mentioned as a violist, was kind of holding on to. She traveled a lot, and she made a point of uh, archiving a bunch of music for viola when she came across it. And because the publishing industry is so complicated, uh, I feel that a lot of the 20th century music that gets recorded or doesn't get recorded kind of comes down to how accessible the scores are. So we were very lucky to just have these, to have the sheet music. And yes, as far as we know, this is the only studio recording of this particular piece. But there may be uh, informal live recordings that are circulating, we should say. And that's part of our mission, I think, with recording these pieces is in the hopes that in reaching new listeners, but also the next generation of viola and piano players alike, that they'll be able to discover these pieces on this record and then wish to, you know, find the score and play them and we'll, we're breathing new life into it. <laughs> yes, actually, people have asked me a few times, how do you feel about people like asking you for the score and maybe doing another recording? And and uh, to me, it's it's so obvious, like we, we would very much both, Sylvia and I like to say explicitly that that is the whole point. Like we, we believe in a diversity of interpretations as what strengthens a piece of music, what keeps it alive and uh, each each interpreter is going to give it new meaning, and, and that's the whole point. So it is very sad to us uh, to have kind of music sitting around in drawers for like a half a century <laughs> uh, with not, not a single recording. So, I mean, on this record, uh, there there is already there is already a wonderful recording of some of this music by Barbara Westfall and by a Brazilian violist named Pierre Doreki. So there was one or two recordings of some of these pieces, but we need more. <laughs> It's great music. It deserves a lot of attention. So when we talk about interpretations, and if this is the world premiere, that means you guys are creating kind of that initial interpretation. How do you approach that? What do you do to put that very first signature on a piece like that? That's, I think, both the most rewarding and challenging part about creating any kind of world premiere, whether it's a performance or a recording. And I think it's because you have such flexibility because there's no um, necessarily standard that you're 
kind of trying to emulate or imitate, right? They were really just diving straight from the score and bringing the notes to life. And I think that's what Georgina and I had the most fun exploring together was just kind of um, really polishing our interpretation so that it was not only reflective of the composer's true intentions, but also felt very authentically like us, like the way that we would normally make music or the way that we would phrase things. So it was both a natural process in some ways. We didn't necessarily even have to discuss it other than trying things out together in person while making music. Um, But it is the nerve wracking part of it, I think, about putting it into the world is that there you just... It's, it is so fresh for both us and for listeners. And so there's always this, yeah, wish of just discovery and curiosity that people will have of listening to something for the first time. But I mean, I think that's the, the goal of any world premiere is not that it just has its first and then it sort of peters away. You know, I think we're hoping that from this will blossom um, this new kind of urge from both the public and musicians to kind of dive deeper into this and really become as obsessed and passionate about it as we are. I think that's exactly right. I think that that everything that Sylvie said is just exactly correct. And um, it's just, it's a very big honor to to give our attention and our skill set to this project of recording music that really kind of desperately needs the attention. Um, And so we do it with a lot of humility, especially when we know it's going to be the first recording of a work of music. And we, we try, I think, to make sure that we're well-versed in what the context of that composer was, uh, what the history is, and what they were trying to build. And in this case with Brazil, I mean, with our record on the music of Chile, I had a very direct line of access to what the history was because I'm from here, so it was very natural. With Brazil, I was much more diligent about making sure that I knew what I was doing, I think. Uh, I felt that we had to really understand the project of finding a Brazilian musical identity and how what an intellectual project that was to all to these composers and how conscientious they were about it and how contra- all the controversy it surrounded finding exactly the right Brazilian style at the time and and just the idea of Brazilian nationalism in music was really central to what these composers were trying to do. I think that we were trying to to make sure that we understood how the composers were searching for a Brazilian nationalist musical style. Let's talk about uh, the other world premieres on this recording. And one is solo viola. And Georgina, I'm wondering, what does that mean to you to be able to include a solo work like this on this recording. Tell me about the piece and the composer and, you know, what is it you love about bringing, putting your signature on this piece? Uh, Well, Hernani Aguiar uh, is the only living composer on the record, so he has a place of honor. We're very happy to get to work with him. I was I was so happy to get to communicate with him um, directly and share the CD with him when it came out. He was very happy about it. I think he liked it. <laughs> um, 
He uh, serves on the faculty of the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro, and he's the he occupies the fourth chair of the Academy of Brazilian Music. He's from Oro Preto, Minas Gerais, and he was a violist in his youth. And this piece, Melorritmias for solo viola, uh, is very brilliant. It's it's very fun to play. It's challenging. In character, I think it's very playful. There's some musical jokes in there. He quotes the J.C. Bach viola concerto when he... Brazilian composers always want to take what they uh, inherit and turn it into something that's Brazilian and Brazilianify it with a lot of pride. And so he takes um, he takes this concerto and says uh, that this is an invitation to my friend Cristiano Ribeiro, which is a joke way of saying to my friend Christian Bach. I always like to include a solo viola piece. I think that the that an album of viola music should have should show off the viola in every way possible. And um, uh, Sylvie also has a brilliant solo piano piece that she included. An obligatory nod to Villalobos, who sadly did not um, write any viola music, but we had to include him in this record. It didn't feel right to have a Brazilian record without Villalobos in it. The other world premiere piece is also a solo viola piece. Georgina, tell us a little bit about this piece of music and how you came across it and, again, how you made it your own. Great. Uh, yes, Lindenberg Cardoso. Uh, this little study, Pequeño Estudio, Opus 78 for solo viola. I think it's really great that I was able to include Cardoso because he's the only one of the bunch of composers on this record who sounds a little bit more like what you would think of as contemporary music. Um, but it's not quite as simple as just placing him in a different camp. So as I was as I was kind of alluding to earlier, there was a Brazilian nationalist school of music that was kind of the brainchild of the ethnomusicologist, scholar, poet, esthete, essayist Mario de Andrade, who had this huge, huge influence on Brazilian erudite, and I'm using uh, uh, <laughs> um, quotation marks here. Air quotes. Yes, air quotes. Erudite music. Um, and on Camargo Guarnieri, who these are important figures um, in the history of Brazilian classical music. Guarnieri was Osvaldo Lacerda's teacher, who was also on this record. And so this this project of nationalist music was the dominating understanding of modern music in Brazil uh, for quite a long time until the 1940s. Around 1940, a composer named Cole Reuter kind of imported uh, and, and started advocating for the compositional school of the Second Viennese School. And that became a very hot topic and a big debate 
uh, between the Nationalist School of Composition and the avant-garde and serialism and 12-tone technique and all of that. And so Lindenberg Cardoso briefly was in that avant-garde camp, and you can kind of hear that in his composition. However, he eventually quit that and was one of the founding members of the composer's group of Bahia. And their founding principle was that they were against every and all asserted principle on composing, and they just wanted to be free. Um, and this was around, I think this was this 1966. Um, so you can definitely hear that playfulness and the desire to explore and be free. Brazilian music, you can also hear uh, kind of a nod to 12-tone music. You can hear a little bit of everything in his little study for viola. The largest work on this recording is the Sonata for Viola and Piano by Breno Blount. And it's very dramatic in places and somewhat moody and evocative. And lo and behold, that's how he identifies each of the movements. Would you... Walk us through this sonata, please, and tell us what we're hearing and what you enjoy the most about playing it. I think the Blouth, it's um, such a wonderful piece of music that I hope, that we both hope, becomes a standard sonata for the viola piano repertoire. I think one of the blessings and curses, I guess, of being a violist, or Gina, not to speak for you, but from what I can, I mean, as from a piano standpoint, I could live nine times and not be able to play everything that's written for the piano. Whereas I think many violists at some point, you know, perhaps even through the course of your studies, you're able to essentially play through all of the music that's ever been written for viola or viola and piano that's considered in the standard classical canon. And so part of our wish and mission with these recordings is to expand that repertoire. Um, and I think the Blouth Sonata definitely deserves to be played and heard more. And as you said, it is such a dramatic piece. There's actually many moments when we were playing it that it reminds you of perhaps Shostakovich or even Hindemith. <laughs> And there's something about the harmonic language. I think it's for sure one of the pieces on the album that treats the two instruments as equal partners. Um, and it really does cover such a wide spectrum of human emotions. There's really intimate, tender moments. There's very exuberant, kind of um, almost feisty moments. 
yeah, it's a wonderful journey for our two instruments to kind of have this dialogue together. It's a really fantastic piece of music. Uh, it won Best Work of Chamber Music by the Sao Paulo Association of Art Critics. Uh, and Blaus is a really cool composer. He's an outsider. Um, he's from Porto Alegre. He's very celebrated in Porto Alegre. And he also was a medical doctor his whole life. So I, I'm very fond of him. The final composer who is on this recording, even though it's just a little two-minute piece, her story is so fascinating. I'm wondering if you can tell us more about her. Chiquinha Gonzaga is a remarkable figure. Um, her birthday marks uh, the National Day of Popular Music in Brazil, which was in October. Um, and it can't be overstated kind of how how influential her story is and what an impact she had. Uh, and so she's a pianist, a composer. She was Brazil's first woman conductor, and she composed a lot. Uh, she was very, very popular. She was very courageous. Um, she was descended from kind of nobility on one side and slavery on the other, and uh, she was pressured to uh, quit music. She was brilliantly talented and wanted to compose and and she was in an arranged marriage and she was pressured by her father and her husband to quit music and instead of doing that she abandoned that marriage and uh, was disowned by her whole family and she, she found success by herself in a very unlikely time she fought for the abolitionist cause, and she uh, also fought to protect uh, copyright uh, for artists and composers. She was really an incredible figure and a beautiful composer. And this Lua Branca we arranged together. Um, it's a song from an operetta. Uh, o Forobodo is the name of the operetta. And it's a pleasure to play the song, uh, especially to play it live. It's the kind of music that is particularly fun to perform in person. And I think being two contemporary women musicians, we really felt it important to include um, a woman composer on this album, especially given the challenges that she faced in order to have her work be appreciated and heard. Um, I mean, she was such a prolific composer. She wrote over 2,000 songs, and one of which, of course, is Lua Branca here on the album. And at the time, this operetta, when it premiered, I think it was 1912, um, it had more than 1,500 repeat performances. That's how popular and appreciated this work was. And and so we wanted just to honor her revolutionary spirit, and we really felt that it was important to, yeah, have her included on this. And it exists primarily basically in either voice and guitar or voice and piano, but we, there was not a, a version for viola and piano, so that's why we have arranged it. Um, for the two of us so that it could be on this album and kind of the perfect way to close out this narrative that we've created. (laughs) 
in putting together this recording, which is only your second release, what was most memorable for each of you? I think for me, it's been such a joy to um, almost to learn more about Georgina through discovering this, her, her identity, you know, her past. I come from Asian culture, which is, I would say, quite different than Latin American, especially in, in, in music. But at the same time, we learn that we share these similar human values and human struggles, especially in our um, respective countries kind of existence and history. And I think through this music, we've been able to develop such um, a beautiful personal human bond. Um, and that's definitely enhanced the way that we approach our instruments, but approach chamber music. I think for me, chamber music is the most intimate type I, other than you know when you're playing in front of a symphony or when you're playing solo it's really very different than sharing this incredibly personal bond with especially one other musician especially someone who you've known for now a very long time and so I think this is this music it's so personal to us and I think you can really hear that it tugs on your heartstrings because we've poured in every ounce and soul of our love into it and our, our love for the music, but also our love for each other. Yeah, wow. I mean, that that's true. It's, <laughs> it's a real joy to, <laughs> to, to work with Sylvie always. And I mean, I, I think she's right that you can hear that in the music that we care for each other and um, are united in our work. Uh, moment that stood out to me. I mean, I had relocated uh, to Santiago, Chile about a year before we recorded. So when the grant came through for this work, I was I was so excited that this meant that I would be able to go to New York and work with Sylvie and record uh, in New York as we had done for the first recording at Octavian Audio. Uh, so I think for me it was the flight to New York and getting back together with my collaborator Sylvie and doing our work together. It was just a it was a joyful moment. It was I think it was it was very hot. It was August <laughs> in New York. Um, but yeah, I think the process. It's always stressful to prepare for a recording. Uh, the stakes are high and you're working really hard. But it's looking back, all all you really remember is how joyful it was to to what a privilege it is to get to work on this kind of thing, to get to work on this music. We're now separated by continents, but I still think very much connected. And we're now planning some concerts and tours coming up. We have some concerts planned in Canada um, next summer and beyond. So whenever we can get together and make music, it's a real joy and privilege. It's a new recording called Chorinho, celebrating the sounds of Brazil with violist Georgina Rossi and pianist Sylvie Chang. I'm Julia Macher, with thanks to Valerie Kaler. She's our producer of new classical tracks from American Public Media. Mm-hmm.